The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net, where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon, and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Nicole Kerr. Nicole really has been there, done that, hence the credential BTDT. She's an award-winning health and wellness expert who has worked in all sectors of society, including government, nonprofit, military, academia, healthcare institutions, corporate settings, private consultation, etc. I'm sure. Throughout her 30-year career, she has focused on supporting thousands of people from every walk of life to make realistic, meaningful choices for lifelong health and well-being. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. I'm so excited to hear your story today. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for asking me. I have been looking forward to this all day long, and it's just, I am honored and just feel very blessed that you are having me on your podcast today, and I really hope people can get something out of this. Oh, well, I feel super blessed as well. And I have no doubt, uh, because I know your story and your journey is going to be very incredible, very captivating. And what I am excited for is my podcast, A Guided Life, is about how spirit helps us in our everyday life all the time. And what better person to talk to than somebody who has seen what that spirit world looks like and that it actually exists. So without further ado, let's just kind of dive right in and maybe share what uh, came out this year. Okay. Well, I just released a book that I had been working on for 13 years called You Are Deathless. And it's about my near-death experience, which taught me how to fully live and not fear death. And this happened to me when I was a cadet at the United States Air Force Academy at age 19. So the reason I even went into wellness and health is because my health was so compromised and so fragile. And of course, we go what into what we, you know, are trying to fix ourselves a lot of times. I know I became a dietitian to try to figure out my eating disorder and then realized that, okay, it wasn't about the food. It was about other mental things. So that's why my whole career has been about 
um, lifestyle medicine and prevention of disease. Cause I know what it's like when you lose your health, when you are especially fit, because being in the, one of the academies, you know, that's probably one of the things that saved me is I was in such awesome physical conditioning, but I was, um, there, uh, not on my own, uh, willingness. It was because I was trying to please my dad. And I think this is an identity a lot of women especially take on is a people pleasing identity. And I just want to go ahead and be upfront and say, by the end of the day, that identity, we don't get anything out of it. It's like being a bug that is squashed. And if you've got that going on in your life right now, you need to take a look at that limiting belief system and really dig down to the root cause of that because it's not serving you at all. It's actually sabotaging you and holding you back. Um, I was in my sophomore year, so I'd gotten through the worst of it. You know, it was already the, you know, hell week and the basic training. And I knew three weeks after I got there that I, I wanted to go home. And my dad was a graduate and then went into the Marine Corps. So I grew up with that military, uh, uh, kind of strictness, let's say, and discipline in my household. But I remember um, three weeks into boot camp, they gave us a three-minute phone call home, and I heard my mother's voice, and I just cried. I just cried for three minutes, started hyperventilating, because what I needed to hear from her that I didn't get was, you have permission to quit. You have permission to come home. We still love you. It doesn't matter if you quit or not. We don't consider you a failure. And I didn't hear any of those words. And so after my three minutes, my commanding officer came in and he said, Kurt, go sit over there until you can get yourself together. And um, my mom didn't say anything. And then she later told me, she said, I looked at your father and said, well, what have we done to her? And he said, oh, she'll be fine. And I wasn't fine. That was my first panic attack as I now look back um, because I couldn't get my voice. I couldn't get my words out. So uh, needless to say, I pushed all my feelings down and I went through that first year and I somehow survived by the grace of God. Don't ask me how I made it through those obstacle courses because I am not a varsity athlete. I'm five foot 11. Okay. I'm more like a ballerina kind of type figure. And uh you know, what, what I was doing, I was just like, my soul was not meant to learn how to kill people. And I mean, we have a military for a reason to defend our country, but I'm not a killer. And I didn't need my soul training for this position was just going against that. So the beginning of the sophomore year, uh, I unfortunately was, uh, we were at a kind of kick off like this time of the year, everybody's going back to college. There's a big squadron party saying, hey, everybody, here's the beginning of the year. Let's get together. And I had been at an event earlier, got there later and was one of the last was the last person to leave. And since I didn't have a car, um, I went there was one guy remaining. And so I did not know him except that he was in my squadron. I asked for a ride back to the academy with him. And he was like, sure. Corvette convertible, 65. Ooh, man, I was living it, you know, going, <laughs> going back with the convertible top. And he's like, Cole, do you want to stop and get a couple of beers? And I'm like, well, we have to get back by 735. And uh, he goes, oh, we'll be fine. He was a senior. And so we stopped and I had two beers, okay, and a cigarette. And then he wanted to stop and watch uh, the sunset. Now, 
Nicole did not date. So Nicole does not know messages about dating and um, wanting to have sex or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm completely oblivious to all these cues. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you got to get back on the road. So um, when he did, um, needless to say, uh, that's when the accident happened. And my side of the car hit a boulder. He was speeding and he was trying what I remembered 19 years later, he made a sexual pass at me. And I said, no, when he got really angry and jerked the wheel. Hence why I avoided relationships for so long. I didn't get married till I was 40 years old because I was always scared of getting the man angry at me because in my amygdala, in my fight flight back here, I was always scared of, uh oh, I could die again if I got a guy angry. So the accident happens. Um, I fly out of the car and I, I don't remember anything. I don't even remember crashing. I just remember leaving, uh, from the sunset area that we were and be getting back on the road. And I woke up in the hospital and I find out 10 weeks later when the paramedic who saved me, I call him one of my angels. And I actually have a whole chapter where I talk about, him and the thoracic surgeon on call that night and the head nurse, because those three were my angels. They really, really were. And his name is John, and I'm still in touch with all of them today. And so it was um, him who came in and told me what he saw when he got there. And basically he said, um, there's a group of people standing by that had called it in and we got there 10, 15 minutes later and you had been covered up with a blanket and they said you were dead and they were waiting on the corner. And he said, I don't, I don't take the word of strangers. So he uh, took the blanket off of me and tried to get vitals, couldn't get any vitals. And then he did this thing called a sturdle knuckle press, which is really painful. And my, right pupil, I flickered and dilated. And so that was the only sign of life he could get out of me. Now, when we think about the eyes in a spiritual sense, what is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Windows to the soul. <laughs> exactly. You know, so um, here I come back in, my soul's like, you're not leaving yet. So uh, they got these Mast pants on me, which pushed all the blood back up to my heart. My blood pressure was 60 over zero. Uh, they got me to the nearest community center. And the doctor that was on call that night was the first woman surgeon in Colorado Springs. First woman to go to medical school at Jefferson College in Philadelphia. She's a maverick. Wow. And, um, you know, so I start the book there at the crash scene and it's pretty graphic. Um, because I had a lot of injuries and including uh, an amputated foot, which they grafted back together with a skin graft. Wow. Um, my wrist was severed. My pelvis was, um, sev I mean, fractured. Uh, I had a lot of internal injuries. Uh, my face, I had a huge road burn from skidding on the pavement. And um, it just, you know, so it was basically just trying to stabilize me that night. Then for the next four months, seven weeks in ICU, six major operations, two where I coded. I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay. I wanted to leave. I mean, I really did try <laughs> hard to, to go back to the, <laughs> the other side. And so I, I went on with my life and, uh, of course got a medical discharge as a disabled veteran. 
and went to school at, at SMU where my sister went. And um, my parents, after a year of rehab, sent me to, to live with her. But they didn't believe in mental health. So when the doctor said Nicole needs medical uh, attention in terms of, you know, mental health, mom said, no, God is our psychiatrist and Jesus is. So we we don't believe in that. And she was wrong. You know, uh, I did need that. And so I developed an eating disorder almost immediately when I went to live with my sister um, because I had all these scars. They had to cut me open on one of the surgeries. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, I was going to a school that was very focused on image and sororities and looks and my self-esteem just tanked. So uh, that uh, I did get through school, but it was not um, in a supportive environment. And I developed com compulsive eating, which is now known as, you know, um, bulimia and uh, our binge purge. And it's just really, you know, I can look back now and see the pain I was in, but I had no idea then why I couldn't stop eating, you know, a pint, I mean, a gallon of ice cream. And it was embarrassing. I mean, eating disorders are so secretive because they're so shame based. So fast forward, don't remember a thing about the accident except bright white lights. That was it. And I asked my doctor, could that have been the operating room lights? Could I have? She said, no, Nicole, you were you were unconscious for over 12 hours. You, you know, you you were out. And um she said, I think it's what you think it is, which is a near-death experience. And so 19 years later, I'm at CDC working there and I come out of Starbucks, my usual routine. And all of a sudden I remember, my body remembers, that's the key. My body remembered how I was sitting in the car. That's the first memory I had. And now I knew why I cut up all the inside of my thighs, I cut a fourth degree laceration in between my anal and sphincter. So uh, they had to sew all that up and put a colostomy on me. So I was like, this is at 19. And I'll just be honest, I'd never had sex. So I'm going, oh my God, nobody's going to want to have sex with me now because I've got this bag on me that's hanging off with, you know, feces in it. And so it was just complete you know, roller coaster in the hospital. And then I got home and got into physical therapy to learn how to walk again. And then, like I said, went to school and then CDC, I finally wind up working there. And I remembered how I was sitting in the car and then the rest of the memories started coming. So instead of going to work, I went to see my um, chiropractor. He was booked that day. I sat in his office till he could fit me in because I just was shaking. I did not know that that was repressed memories and that when your body feels safe enough, those memories can come up. So what came up was my journey to the other side. And what I remembered was I was lifted out of my body by, um, it was like, it was an angel it looked like Casper the ghost, you know, but it didn't really have much of a form. It was male. I know it was male. Um, I really do believe it was my grandfather on my father's side that came down. Um, I just feel that that's who it was. And so I got lifted up and I could see myself lying in the ditch. I could see my khaki shorts, my teal striped eyes odd, and just laying there dead. And I'm like, Oh boy, I don't want to go back there. And um, 
I could hear other voices, other spirits, other angels talking. And what one conversation I zoned in on was they have to ask us for help. So that realm I was in was saying, Earth, we humans, in order for them to help us, we have to ask for help from the angelic side, from the spiritual side. Wow. And a lot of us don't do that, or we forget to do that, or we think we have to do everything by ourselves. But they are ready, willing, and able to help us. But because we have free will, they're not going to zoom in unless it is an emergency like it was in my case. And uh, they saved me. And I basically was told by this angel that I was going to go back in my body. And my message was to tell people not to be afraid of death. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go back, please. Because <laughs> I, I felt like I was in this cocoon and it was so warm and it was just there was no pain and no negativity. And it was just love. And it was just there were just colors that are not even in the Crayola color box, even though it's 64 one. Okay. And, <laughs> you know, I think I figured out why we see white light is because white light is a combination of all colors combined. Right. Right. So if we see white light, we're seeing colors that we can't even remember. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, wow. uh, so anyway, I, had a short encounter, it seemed to me, over there because the next thing I know, I, w I wake up, which was actually like 12 hours later, um, and I'm in the ICU at the hospital and I'm hooked up to like 10 machines and I'm just going, oh my God, what happened to me? And my squadron commander and my uh, another Air Force official came in and told me that I was in a wreck with this other guy and um, they were calling my parents. And the first thing that I say is, don't tell my dad he'll kill me. That's the first thing I registered oh, no. because he's going to go, you broke my rules. And that's exactly what happened. He didn't kill me, but he blamed me. And um, so I've had to deal with that piece as well. But that part of the, the memory coming back was significant because it took two days for the memory to complete itself of the accident. But I actually did to this day, have not felt the pain that went along with the injuries. And I can tell you for sure, 100%, when you are death, maybe not the dying process, but at death, you feel no pain, none. Wow. So, so okay. So first of all, <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> that was, but wow. Okay. So, so first of all, um, I I love I mean I know that the Air Force probably wasn't your calling but it does hold a, a special place in my heart being an Air Force brat myself because my father's retired. So I love that connection uh with you. Second of all, the the safety mechanism that the body puts sets in place as far as blocking out the memory. Um what is your take on that? Is that something that is more physiological? Do you think that there's a spiritual component to that? Oh, I definitely believe it's physiological. And I definitely believe, believe there's a spiritual component. Because I will tell you this, I came in, we all come in with a contract into at least that's my belief system, we come in with a contract, what are our lessons that we're going to learn. And I really believe I 
was an earth angel that came in to help the planet earth and help people. I always loved doing that. I've always been on the sensitive side, but when I died and went to the other side, I renegotiated that contract. And so I came back in an angelic form. And it's interesting because my middle name has angel in it. It's angel. Angelique, you know, and that's why I have, it's been so hard for me to separate from my family because my family doesn't believe, my father doesn't believe in near-death experiences. They blamed me for it. And I have spent so much of my life thinking I deserve that blame, holding on to that guilt because they said it and I didn't have the memory. And so now that I renegotiated it, my spiritual, I'm getting the spiritual assistance I need to get this book out. And I will tell you, and I'm, Laura, I'm not making this up. I have not had one negative comment, not one. It has all been positive. I had a lady call me today. Um, I haven't talked to her in 20 years. And she's like, Nicole, I lost both my parents when I was in my 20s. I lost my sister five years ago to heart cancer, heart cancer. I mean, how rare is that? And oh, she, wow. said, she said, I heard of that you one. Yeah. changed my life with this book and how I see death. Because she said, I have been so fearful of dying. And she said, I, I just have to tell you that. And I'm just like, well, if I made a difference to one person, that's what I was, was hoping for. <laughs> but I know it's a huge topic because we are in a very, when we think about death in our society, it's very doom, gloom, uh, death denial. It's not going to happen to us. You know, we don't like to talk about it. We push people off to nursing homes and don't want to deal with it. But it's something we need to reframe in our society. And so that mission, which was given to me by, by spirit when my memory returned, I remembered as it clears a bell um, to not be afraid of death. It has taken me almost four decades to understood what that looked like for me because I needed to get myself in alignment. And I was so in my head from working more in a scientific realm that I had kind of disconnected from the rest of my body. So I did not know how to embody emotions. And I think we're a very illiterate society when it comes to emotions. We grow up learning four, bad, sad, mad, and glad. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we really, uh, in my own experience, along with hundreds of thousands of others, you know, death is absolute beauty, light, and loving kindness on the other side. So what I have done is taken the 10 common lessons from near-death experiences that was published in the um, International Association for Near-Death Studies 2020 Annual Report, and each one of them has a chapter in my book. And the first one is, we do not die. Our soul and our spirit... Whew, just escape, you know, it's that breath. And it even talks about, you know, we're never alone. We're not judged. Uh, everything and everybody is connected. And I think we're starting to see that with the COVID pandemic, right? That 
this is a virus and it spreads and we're all connected and what you do affects me. And, you know, it's, it's not this like smoking and even that affected people, you know, there's secondhand and thirdhand, but um, loving ourselves and others is the most important thing we can do. And so all of these lessons are all positive and they align with my experience. And I want to put the positivity spin on it. And I'm here, I'm here to help change the worldview, the vibrational energy and the cultural misunderstanding surrounding death. And we have to start addressing the difficulties getting there, which are our fears. And the back of my book has a book discussion group. Incidentally, if you do a book discussion uh, and you all read my book, I will zoom in for 30 minutes and um, talk with you guys about any questions you have. I'd be delighted to do that as long as I can make it work with my time zone. But there's actually a checklist of what fears do you experience when you think about your own death. And I think it would be great for your book club to do that before and then meet and then after and see if it helps because it's going to be an in-depth discussion and it's going to bring up a lot, but to at least bring it up and out and talk about it, you know, is what we need to start doing and make it more of uh, an acceptable um, uh, topic that is beautiful because it really is. Yeah. And we're talking more about like, uh, uh, like the, the person is individual dying in the process for them, not so much losing a loved one or losing a family member, but the personal person, right. Yeah. Death. Yeah. You know, our lives are not just biological and psychological in this three dimensional solid world. We exist in a much greater narrative, um, growing in love and compassion and consciousness. And I just want to, magical way that death's gloom and doom. And I want every age, including little kids to start understanding the cosmic context that this is all in. And, you know, don't misunderstand me. There is still suffering and grief and pain and loss that we have to carefully and compassionately hold in here. But we have to remember the bigger picture. This is one of many incarnations of our soul. Wow, that's so amazing. I love that the things that you heard and what you were told while on the other side, like literally on the other side, are things that I have heard resonate through the, I don't know, quote unquote, spiritual community. Um, as far as, you know, you have to ask yeah. as a free will. And okay, so there's there's truth to that. There's actually a basis and a grounds to that. Uh, and yes. not to fear death. Like we, I have heard that many times. And I myself, I've had a, a past life regression. And I was, I was, well, I was, I did a life between lives regression. And part of that is a past life reg regression, and then experiencing that death to then get in between the lives. And experiencing that death, I was nervous because I was fearful of if I was going to feel any pain or suffering or anything like that. And though it was a rather traumatic death, I did not experience any of the pain. So something like what you had mentioned, didn't experience any of the pain. Um, and I, uh, before the real physical suffering would have endured, I was on the outside watching. So I had already left my body before I could have 
experience the physical yes. pain that that traumatic death could have felt like. Um, so I just, I love that so much of what you've said. I mean, you got firsthand knowledge. I think that that's just incredible. Um, and it just validates. Well, your, your story just validates it. Yeah. Because that's my pain didn't show up until I woke up in the hospital. Oh my gosh. And I was like back in my body going, Oh my goodness, I can't move. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, just, it was just, oh, and just geez. pain. I mean, I was on Valium, Morphine and Demerol, all three for seven weeks. And then my dad makes the brilliant decision uh, when he's ready to say, stop all pain meds. I don't want her addicted. Oh my. Well, you know. How was he able to make that call if you were over 18? I was 19 and considered pediatrics. I was the oldest one in the oh. pediatric ward. <laughs> really? <laughs> but yeah, at 19, I was still, I was still oh, in PE. I don't yeah. think that would fly this, so these got, days. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they've changed they that now. But that was the, that was a Catholic hospital. So oh, man. Um, anyhow, uh, they he, they got to make those decisions. And, um, you know, and I wasn't told a lot of what was happening to me. I mean, looking back now, I was terrified every single day of dying again, you know, whether I was going to live or die because I was in ICU seven weeks on a roller coaster, you know, and then four months in the hospital, 64 pints of blood transfused, you know, it was just, it it was a lot of, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah. That, I mean, definitely sounds like it until you, uh, your soul remembered and your, and you said your physical body remembered, right? That, that uh, we actually shouldn't be scared of death. You're like, I wish I would have known this. Back when I was 19. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I've also been told it takes what it takes, yeah. you know, and I've had to go through every single experience to really get to this point where I can feel like I can talk to this and talk as um, an expert. I mean, I, I do remember this and people, you know, I don't have this whole litany of things I remember on the other side, like a lot of people do. I just remember that incident getting that message and saying, you're going back and how wonderful it was on the other side. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. Uh, so, you know, it's taken me a long time to get to this place. You know, I feel like the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, next year will be 40 years since the crash. Wow. But I also know that this is divine timing as well. I'm ready to get it out. I can now deal with you know, my family yeah. criticism, if there's any with it um, or, or whatever, I'm strong enough in myself. I know who I am. I'm sovereign in that. And that took me a long time to get here. And I've had a spiritual transformation. I know that I am a soul and spirit and just the, the physical is just, you know, what, what is the, um, the experience in this world. And we have to deal with the duality of both. You can't just say, you know, oh, you know, don't worry about the pain. When you're in pain, it's real. And you can't think about oh, yeah. not being in pain or think about unicorns and rainbows. I mean, to tell somebody that is absolutely stupid because it's not, it's not true. So, you know, I get that we're physical and we have to still deal with our physicality and manage ourselves and manage pain and manage whatever, you know, other things happen around that. Um, 
and at the same time, remember ultimately that we are soul and spirit. Yeah. And when you were telling the story, and I was able to read about that part in the book, uh, when, you know, the, the, first of all, the, the first female, was it surgeon of that time or Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's a maverick. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, there are so many amazing things ab- about that. Not so much, uh, you know, of course the, the team that got together and, um, but the impact that your case had on her career and had on John's career. Cause think about it. You were probably one of their worst case scenarios, yet you were this miracle that came through. So to set that precedence early on in their careers that look, I've seen the worst of the worst and they made it. I mean, I can just imagine the impact you had on their individual lives as well from a 60 over zero blood pressure, which is I've never even heard of before, um, which is crazy to here we are talking about it 40, nearly 40 years later. And you're, I mean, amazing. Yeah, it, it did. And, you know, uh, I talk about, I went back in 2008, my husband had a conference in, in Colorado Springs. And so I went back and I actually found them and interviewed them and asked them what they remembered. And they were all three. I met their their spouses. And the first thing they all said to me is, oh my gosh, you're so tall because all they did was see me in the bed. The first time I tried to sit up, which was weeks and weeks and weeks into my ordeal, I had four nurses transfer me to a chair and I fell over and passed out. That's, you know, but it was just such a, like I had to have two nurses on me at all times and for, you know, staffing and all this kind of stuff for a community hospital, it was a tremendous uh, case that required a lot. I had nine specialists, you know, and they, I was too sick to transfer out to a, you know, a main hospital. Um, They had to keep me there and keep working on me there. So yes, I had an impact on their careers and, you know, and, she, Dr. Stewart wrote me recently, uh, she wrote a book about her, her journey. And she just said, this is why I went into medicine was for people like you, you mm-hmm. know, and incidentally, it was ironic that nobody had ever come back and thanked the paramedic or thanked the nurse or thanked none of them. They said they've never had a patient do that 25 years later, you know, and that was important to me to thank them. And I just was, you know, that's why I devoted a chapter to them. And my mother's in that as well about being an angel and my sponsor at the Air Force Academy, because, you know, it was such, um, just such a horrific time. But, you know, now that I'm past all that, and I'm where I'm at, spiritually and I've disconnected with this God who is I was raised Southern Baptist and Lutheran and it was very much a dualistic God where God loves you Nicole but on the other hand if you disobey any Don't of these piss rules them off. <laughs> uh, yeah you're going to hell I guess where hell is it's down there and there's fire and you're going to be separated from your family and and that's I think why I was so terrified of death at 19 that was still my belief system is that I was going to be separated from my family and I would never see him again and so I just you know I couldn't I couldn't grasp that you know and it's taken me a long time to 
realize that that vending machine concept of God is, I'm sorry, but it's not true. God is love. God is uh, period. That's it. It's energy. And there's nowhere God is not. God, you, all of us are eternal sparks of God, every single one of us. And so when people tell me, you know, oh no, you have to go through Jesus in order to get to God. I'm like, I'm sorry. I was raised that way, but that's not, I, I can tell you for sure. That's not the way it happens, you know? Um, but there's still people stuck in uh, those old belief systems. And I think now in this day and age, things are shaking up and people are starting to become aware and starting to ask questions and starting to go, this doesn't make sense. You know, there's no evidence for it. And, you know, to tell a child that God is going to protect you and be there for you and you're, you get sexually abused and God didn't do anything. I mean, what does, what does that say to the child? Right you're bad and wrong. And I, I don't like you because that's why I didn't come protect you. You know, you become uh, bad and wrong. And so you try to become perfect so that, you know, God will protect you and God will love you. Um, and a lot of our ideas come from that father figure and our, you know, we, we put God onto our, our living father. He becomes God in a sense, you know? So, you know, I think that's another thing that um, I'm really clear about is those messages and belief systems that we have to get rid of those um, and change them because they're sabotaging us to keep us from being the beings that we were created to be because they're they're not truth. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that a lot of that is fear based. And I think that that's what it goes back to is yes. fear based versus love based. I am curious before we because I, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about this, this Casper character. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what happened to the guy that was driving the car? Um, he was a senior. And this is where privilege has its um, prerogative. He had a dad who's a three star general in the army at the time. And the state of Colorado pressed charges against him. He was in the hospital, a different hospital for a week. Um, very, very minor scrapes and, and wow. on him. He was back at the academy, you know, after a week. And the state filed uh, vehicular assault charges and also um, DUI, as well as, I think, speeding. And he, um, he pled guilty and then... He graduated and then he went off to serve his career in the Air Force. Ah, okay. So he survived. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His blood alcohol ah. was double what it should have been. So, you know, uh, that pull between any other cadet would have been kicked out just yeah, right off the bat. But you get to see the politics that gets played. Uh, even in something like this, you know, where my son's going to graduate, you make sure he graduates. He's already, he's a senior now and give him his commission. So that's pretty um, blatant, <laughs> pretty blatant. There. Yeah. Well, that's, there's, uh, I'm sure you can talk to a lot of women in the military and there's a lot of blatant mm. abuse that goes on that doesn't get reported. Ugh, ugh, that's, that's terrible. That sounds, they sound pretty behind the times there behind it. Yeah. And it's still going on. I saw an article the other day where West Point and the Air Force Academy were st still uh, having 
issues with sexual abuse, you know, after all this training and all this other stuff is is still going on. Got it. Got it. So your injuries were way worse because of the boulder. Is that right? Because of hitting the boulder? Yes. Yeah. My side of the car hit the boulder. And that's the picture that you see in the book. Got it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, it's crazy that anybody got out of that. (laughs) That vehicle. Well, and that's why we d- it didn't have seatbelts because it was 1965. So we were both thrown out. And oh, yeah. I will tell you as a public health expert, though, that's what my degree is in, wear your seatbelts. Okay. <laughs> Unless you're probably in a Corvette, some kind of, you know, Corvette or something with the top down. Yeah. That, uh, if, you, if you flipped over, then you're stuck, right? Right. If your top's down. Right, yeah, exactly. So, okay. So this angelic Casper character. Yes. Have you been in contact with him since? Like, do you connect with him regularly? I have, uh, since this has happened, I have a um, military angel that will be with me until I pass. And his name is James. So he is a stand in for the angel that saved me. And he is always with me. He's protecting me. Uh, He's right there with my guardian angels. Uh, of which I have two that I know of. And um, he tells me when, you know, he, he died, we do dialogue to answer your question. Oh, nice. So do you have clear audience then, or is it just a, like a knowing or how do you? No, I hear, I hear, I ask uh-huh. and I hear. Yeah. Sarah. Oh, wonderful. Clear audience. Wow. Clear, that is clear audience. Yeah. Yeah, the clear audience. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's that's really nice because I feel like there's no need to interpret anything. It just well, you know exactly it, what it does. And I had to get like, are you sure about that? You know, because it just <laughs> it was so different to hear it and 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 believe it. You know, because I will tell you at the uh, end of the book, at the epilogue, you're going to be shocked because my roommate from 38 years, she quit the academy uh, that Christmas. Okay, my accident was in August. She quit at Christmas and I never heard from her again. And we got on a Zoom call, the four roommates, uh, the beginning, uh, end of May, beginning of June, two months before my book was going to be published. And what she told us, I went into uh, a disassociative state in shock when I heard what she said. Ooh, and it's in the epilogue? It's in the epilogue. All right. I'm going to make sure I, I read Don't that. read that first, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do my because, due diligence and read because that makes another point about how we hold on to blame and guilt that's not ours, Got and it. how it's so important to communicate with anybody about things that you have questions about if yeah. you are owning it. Yeah, because most of the times it's not yours to own. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Most of the time, you're right. So I've heard of many people who have had. Um, NDEs, near-death experiences, uh, not be able to be around electronics or watches. Do you have any experiences with with something like that? Oh my gosh, I can't drink alcohol. I mean, that's a bummer for me (laughs) because my husband drinks for me. (laughs) But I love wine and I love, you know, but I can't do it because it'll it'll give me a migraine. Uh, It's a toxin. Unfortunately, I hate to tell people that I am a dietitian and I, you know, the, the benefits from the grapes are great, but uh, it also is, you know, it's, it is a toxin. It's not good for your liver. Um, 
And so I can't handle noise. My husband is a musician, so he's now got a whole... <laughs> he's been routed to the garage and made a music studio out of there so him and the band can play. <laughs> but I, I'm very sensitive. I'm a very melancholic person now, and I can't be in big crowds. Um, I have a sense of not getting enough air, and that's from waking up from an operation on a ventilator, and your hands are strapped down. And so... I am very aware of making sure I get enough air. So uh, that's a big one for me. I will not go scuba diving. I'll snorkel as long as I can just raise my head and, <laughs> right. get, and get some air. But yes, and I'm, I'm sensitive to smells. Um, I can smell cigarette smoke probably a mile away. You know, I am so hypersensitive with um, cigarette and cigar smoke. I, I can do okay with weed Sometimes um, the yeah. smell of that, but, uh, and then there's certain food odors that will just ugh, throw me off, you know? So I, uh, I'm not the easiest person probably to live <laughs> with since this happened, but I try to adjust to it. And uh, my husband knows now what happens, you know, and it's just the way it is. And um, you learn to live with it and you learn to, to take ear plugs to, things and, yeah. you know, not be in big crowds and that kind of stuff. And if he wants to do that, he's got friends he can go do that with too. I mean, we compromise on that kind of stuff, but yes, definitely sensitivities have changed. And, um, and it's part for the most part to keep my energy clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, a few of your senses have become much more sensitive, like your physical body. Now that you've um, been reattached to it, uh, yes. it's become like more sensitive. That's really interesting. Well, um, Nicole, this has been such an amazing conversation uh, and such eye-opening stuff. Uh, to close out our interview, um, I was wondering if maybe James has a message on top of the good stuff you've already shared, um, but if James has a message to share with the collective, like a timeless message for the listener. Um, his timeless message is he really wants people to not be afraid of death at that moment. And if you are in fear of it, you lose clarity. And in order to regain your clarity, you got to address your fears and your fears are mostly irrational. So they are not true and they come from the existence of limiting beliefs. So without those limiting beliefs, you would exist in a state of alignment. And that's what you want to be in is in a state of alignment and that keeps you grounded and connected to source. And you will be amazed at the being that you were created to be once you can get to that state. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for that wonderful message. Thank you, James. And thank you, Nicole, for your time and for writing this book, even though it took 13 years, so many people are being positively impacted by it. So um, in the show notes, I have the link to where people can get this book. Um, but I mean, it's a captivating read so far already. So I, I just I look forward to uh, completing it. And uh, gosh, maybe maybe getting some of my friends together, we get a little book club and have you come on. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. And you know, I am so grateful um, 
so far from the response and that makes it all worth it. You know, all the pain and suffering, it's just like, you know, I did it. I, I really did. And James is like, we always knew you would, but I was like, I didn't know I would, you know, I forgot that I would. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we get that. We get spiritual amnesia. We forget who we came to be and that we don't have to, 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 to orchestrate things. We just show up and say, how, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, how did I connect with Laura on a podcast? What just happened? You know, <laughs> it's like these experiences to get the word out are just popping up everywhere and I can't make them happen. You know, it's just, and I just turn over and go, okay, showing up for today. What What's up for today? You know? And, um, and I love living that way now because I used to need to control everything and that's exhausting. Oh yes. All you have to do is ask, right? Just have to remember to ask. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yes. Oh, it really is that simple. You know, they're not, they're not hard concepts, but to implement with all of, you have to shed all these ascribed identities and belief systems. That's the hard part of transformation because you have to do the work and I'm sorry, but I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We, it's our own individual uh, journey and it's, it's not for the faint of heart for the most part. No, all we can do is try and inspire. I try and inspire. That's right. Thank you again so much, Nicole. Oh, I just so appreciate you and appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and take care, especially with that little puppy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that was another episode of a guided life podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.